Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello and welcome to another edition of CTRM Radio, an ad hoc podcast from Commodity Technology Advisory, LLC. My name is Gary Vasey and today we'll be looking at data management, talking to a number of experts across the industry, followed by a conversation between Patrick Reams and myself on what we have learned. CTRM Radio is kindly sponsored by Enuit an award-winning provider of CTRM and commodity management solutions worldwide, and it is hosted by ctrmcenter.com, the place for everything CTRM. And with that, we'll get started by talking to Richard Quigley. Gary, I think I think if if we if we are sort of with a kind of historical perspective on on sort of uh, the, the landscape of data management, basically from sort of early noughties, indeed, indeed some folks are still involved in this kind of architecture. The, the data, man, data management was seen as, as a sort of, you know, second cousin to uh, a lot of these systems. And in particular, if we look at our industry where CTRM is one of the most dominant sort of technology players, it was kind of there to, to capture, you know, the exchange data, some of the market data and, and so on. Um, and, it, and it was kept, it sort of pushed away to the side yeah. And only, 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 um, you know, it performs some functionality. You know, some, some, some rudimentary sort of analytics were done. And indeed, if, if someone had the RM or the CTRM working, there was a little bit of sort of risk management working. And for me, that was always a problem set because data to me is one of the, one of the biggest assets in an organization. And it's only recently where you have the concept, in fact, the last five, seven years, the concept of chief data officers that have brought, brought, to the, brought to the sea level and actually understood data as an asset. And for me, and, and one, of, one of the big changes that's happening in the industry is they're actually moving to the, for data to be the center of, of the organization, indeed the center of the, of the technical architecture of systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything else feeds off of that. And that makes a lot more sense because then you have, can have specific analyt- analytics working uh, f- for specific reasons, whether you're front office, mid office, whether you are a sort of, you know, a sentiment clerk, whatever you want to do, you have this, you have this centralized uh, data mart uh, and then everyone can get what they want from it. So that's one, one of the challenges that were happening over the last, certainly the last 15, 20 years. And as I say, I suspect, and maybe you can, maybe you can, Jump in here. I suspect some architectures still are still evolving to that sort of central data repository, rather than having these kind of siloed sort of data working within the landscape. Because it's a it's quite a change to happen within the architecture. Yeah. And I know some of the bit some of the bigger players are moving to, but some folk will probably stuck in the past there. You know. Yeah. I guess the thing Gary that's happened in the last uh, I mean it's been happening for a while is the, the concept of big data you know the velocity variety and volume and and that is that is a marked change uh, in the industry I mean before it was kind of end of day data you know collected from the exchange collected from you know companies like myself or whatever as, as distributors of data the, the world has changed and, and the world has changed to real time or as near real time as possible and the architecture has to change to account for real time. 
but not only real time in, in, in deriving uh, you know, value, whether it's uh, you know, better decisions or better outcomes, it's looking at the type of data that's coming through the pipes now. I mean, you've got your traditional sort of structured data, your classic sort of stuff coming from exchanges all the way through to unstructured. And, and, and that, could, that could be textual, that could be videos, it could, it could be uh, JPEGs. Um, and some of this stuff is, is very, very useful for a company to understand this information. And I'll be honest with you, Gary, most companies haven't really adopted the proper architecture in order to leverage this type of information. So you get your, 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 your structured to your semi-structured, like, like JSON, CSV, all the way to your unstructured, like mm. classic contextual information. And that's a big change that, that, that hasn't really happened. And I guess the other big thing that's that's happening in the industry is is AI. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest the biggest things in in the industry. I think uh, in any industry, I think it could be transformational for some industries. Others other other industries, um, I, I think it will be complementary to some of the, the the processes that they're already doing. But it depends how you how you as an organisation adopt this. And you every single time I say this, Gary. You need C-level you need buy-in for any of these transformational projects, especially in the era of digitization. You know, it's one of these yeah. things, the recurring themes in, in, in conferences. Everyone every wants to get in, in, into the, the digital world, but it actually is a lot of work and it actually needs a lot of planning and you do need C-level buy-in. You need, you need the resources, you need the budget to do it. And what does AI mean? What does it really mean for someone uh, that does, doesn't mean that I can I can leverage um, you know uh, natural language processing for example to get to get uh, data or or, or or bytes out of uh, information from say Twitter. Um, maybe it means that maybe you can do some sentiment analysis for example, or maybe for someone it means that I can start looking at smart contracts you know using Ethereum blockchain. Uh, maybe it means things like this to, to some people, or maybe it means that I can move into sort of more hands-off uh, neural networks or, or deep learning uh, and, and try to do things that they've never done before and try to leverage across a whole different pool of data that a human being really couldn't do and try to come up, come up with another sort of decision support system that, that has never been there. But again, organizations have to work this out. Um, of what, what, what they're trying to achieve. And I always say to anyone, just do it in, in, in bite-sized chunks, you know, try, start small and then just graduate forward. And, you know, you don't have to go for, you know, the, the large consultancy, you know, 20 folk working your organization overnight. Um, I think you have to plan it, plan it forward and then to get the C-level C adoption and then bring, bring in resources, you know, as, as required and then go through the organization itself. My, my, my big thing is to, understand what the people in the organization think of it and try to get them involved in it as well. So if you're looking at even something as potentially benign as RPA or robotic process automation, if you don't get buy-in from the people involved in the organization, it's going to be a failure, Gary. Mm -hmm. um, so these are some of the touch points that I would say that have sort of manifested themselves in the last few years. Yeah, we see a lot of um, organizations trying to use tools like Python and, and BI tools and things to unlock the data that's trapped in their CTRM solutions, for example. And we also see the newer vendors coming to market with more of an ecosystems model in which data is playing much more of a cent central role to what's going on. And we also see 
the AI trend, um, even, even insofar as it relates to supply chains and, and sustainability and, and stuff like that, using satellite imagery and, and various yeah. other types of unstructured data, as you call it. So we definitely see all of those, all of those trends, but it, it does seem to be slow progress. We, we do the, um, the technology study now every couple of three years, and to some extent, it seemed like data management was on everybody's radar about three, four years ago when we first did it. But this time around, it seems to have dropped in priority. Do you know any idea why that would be? I'm not too sure why, because it's, it's every single conference that, 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 that you look at now across the world, data, data, is, is, you know, data is taking the, um, the, the, the prime billing. Yeah. Um, I, I can't get my head around that, Gary, because data is key to any organization yeah. without data. I think, and it's going to be more prevalent going forward because more things will be automated and more people will start to adopt AI. In fact, if you're an organization, even if you fast forward five years, if you haven't, if you haven't jumped, jumped on that, that, that journey, you are going to be left behind and it will eat into your profits. And for some organizations, you actually will be, will be, will be, uh, will be gone uh, because the, the young upstarts are coming up. They're, they're starting to use this this technology and they're starting to understand data like no one's ever understood it before and, and, and joining dots that people didn't even know the dots the, the dots could join right. and it, it, say you get a really good uh, top data scientist uh, who who has who uh, you know add in some domain knowledge here and you have a powerful combination Gary start to use like Python and R and, and other other technologies in order to interrogate the data and, and to start driving answers out of that data. And for the organizations that are not doing that, I really pity them because they need to get on the bandwagon. They need to start looking at this stuff. Um, otherwise, you, you really will be left behind. At the very minimum, it will eat away your profit margins. And, and you know, and, and the sort of the, the nuclear explosion will be no longer in existence. Well, I think, I, I wonder if it's some kind of understanding of what data management means, because it seemed, it seemed to suggest that data management like cloud was to some extent in the rearview mirror. And now they were looking at other technology like artificial intelligence and, and um, even, you know, virtual reality. Oh, so, so it's virtual reality, not augmented reality. Yeah, augmented reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, I mean, it's, it, seems, it seems to me that data management is always going to be your primary concern because, as you say, data is central to everything that you do. And if it's not organized correctly and it's not of sufficiently good quality, then how, how on earth do you start with any kind of initiative that utilizes that data? Yeah, I think you've hit. I think you've hit on the nail on the head there, Gary. It's it's all about the data quality. So, so I mean, there's lots of tools and techniques to, to ingest data, whether it's structured all the way to, to, to unstructured, um, sort of ETL, ELT tools in order to do that. And there's lots of different data repositories, you know, um, that, that that allow you to uh, do various things. So whether it's a lake or whether it's a, a marked, whether it's a kind of curated database, etc. But at the end of the day, it's got to be quality data um, and it's got to be uh, fit for purpose as well. So you've got to be in a stage that, that a Python operator can actually use the data. It, it's got to be digestible by, by the systems. And there's a number of different techniques you can do that. But with, with the data quality, that is the, the most important part of data. And again, there's a lot of uh, techniques you can do to do that. I mean, it's what we call... Um, syntactic checks, um, which are basically kind of structural data checks uh, that, that will look for certain things in data to make sure, for example, if we, accept, if we were 
if we were looking for a, a anticipating a JSON file coming coming to us and we got a CSV, uh, well, that's different. So you'd have to do something about that. Uh, if you were expecting, you know, 3,000 data points and you got 2,500, then there's maybe a problem there. So the sort of structural checks that you do to data, and then there's what we call statistical checks um, that you can put on data. The problem with data quality, Gary, is that although machines can go through data and say, actually, I think there's a problem here, I think there's a problem there. If you've got like an average company will have 100 million data points a day, 10% of that are going to be, um, you know, potential problems with the data. Now, that's, that's 10 million data points, Gary. What do you do with that? So you really need an army to, to really sift through yeah. that if you were going to do it properly. So again, again, you have to, you have to almost curate your own thinking in what, what is quality data and what's not quality data. And again, there's techniques to do it to look at um, different, you know, looking at um, source A versus source B versus source C. And that could give you quick summaries of, of, um, of what's, you know, what's got the highest integrity of the data um, rather than going through a lot of statistical checking. But statistical checking helps. You've got to have gates of, of approval, whether that's automated gates or, or semi-manual gates. And again, all takes time. But at the end of the day, you've got to work out what your quality policy is. And it may well be, and I advise any client to do this, is to look at what, what we call, and certainly in the CTRM world, their critical data sets. What can I not live without? Um, I need a data Brent from some of the PRAs. Um, and uh, if that doesn't come in, then I have a problem because a forward fill is not necessarily great for me because of a little bit of volatility in the market. So I need that data to arrive. I want a critical check done in that. And you multiply that up, Gary, you may, you may just have 100,000 data points instead of, uh, say, 10 million of, of, of the potential problems that you had. And it's looking at little things like this that would help clients to get the quality that they need. Uh, and then you can take... You build upon your quality measures over time rather than going with one client that I had many years ago. They had eight different statistical checks on the data and literally about 40% of all the data went into a, a, a potential invalid data. And that, that was just nonsensical, Gary. It doesn't, you can't operate like that. So you just have to bite-sized chunks, but be, be aware that data quality is so important for everyone and just build your layers up build your layers up through time and it's not a big sort of one band sort of data quality program you will build it up you'll learn from it your measures that you that you think are good enough and then move forward from there well i think a couple of the, the new things that are coming in gary are yeah. uh, edge, edge computing which which is definitely something that's coming in so 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 you mentioned cloud earlier on and cloud is cloud is like switching the lights on for me now it's kind of there everyone understands it now there are some big players in there and you know you, you get a lot of um, value out of out of deploying in the cloud and work working in cloud native architecture um, edge computing so with the cloud gary of course if you're driving a car let, let this it is a scenario you're driving a car and as you, you mentioned earlier on, um, sort of uh, uh, um, virtual and augmented reality, and, and you, you want real-time information coming up about some, some of your things in the car, whether you've got a tire blowout or, you know, wh whether there's, um, you know, a car coming up from behind or whatever, that's real-time information. Um, and you can't send that to the cloud in order to, in order to do the calculations to see whether you've had a tire blowout or whether there's someone in your rear view window. You need that, that information and the analytics to be compartmentalized down, down at the very basic level. 
and it's called edge computing. So it's around the periphery of all these, all these different uh, hardware systems. And, and so all the analytics are actually done uh, around the edge or in the actual system itself so that you get the real-time value. And then when you have time, or, or indeed it's cost-effective, you can then upload that into a cloud architecture and do more analysis, and maybe it helps you, it helps you further develop the product and, and provide more advanced analytics. But that's something that's definitely coming to play, Gary, uh, more what I'd call time-sensitive data. Uh, and you'll, you'll, hear, you'll definitely hear more of that. Uh, thanks to Richard Quigley. And next in line is Patrick Reams, who talked with Chris Hembrecht, who's with Morningstar. So I'm visiting with uh, Mr. Chris Hembrecht, uh, Director of Product Management at Morningstar. Uh, Chris, I very much appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. If we look at kind of the energy markets over the last five years to a decade, we were seeing tremendous change. Clearly, the, the, the advent of fracking and, and oil and gas have had tremendous impact, but I think even bigger is the, the energy transition that we're going through from conventional generation, uh, coal, natural gas, uh, nuclear, uh, more towards a renewal environment. So it's, it's clearly had a huge impact. And then you pile on top of that, the impact of technology in terms of managing data, managing information. And it, it seems like it's an entirely different world. From that perspective, how has data how have data requirements changed over the last say five years in, in relation to those market changes from the from the morningstar side we're, we're seeing lots of changes so you, you mentioned renewables and that's definitely one of the the big components in terms of the the data sets people are looking for um, it's moving to to new types of data uh, new vendors to bring that data online but it's still data coming through the systems What's really impacting us, Morningstar, as, a, as an aggregator is the, um, the consumption model, because um, it's really changed over the last few years. Um, when I entered the industry um, you know, over 20 years ago, you know, it was all about the analysts and getting data to the, uh, the Excel spreadsheets or your charting tool for, for looking at it. And it, then it evolved into more of the getting the, your end of day data to the CTRMs. Um, but now, with the rise of the data scientists, we're seeing um, a consumption in a, in a brand new way. People are no longer looking at uh, you know, just a, a handful of data points for the last 10 years. And they're, they're not looking at, oh, it just show me all the prices that came in yesterday. They're looking to consume the, um, the data sets in their entirety. They want to see everything. They want to see all the data for the ISO, all the nodes, and they're going to go through them. Um, so we're seeing these one-time dumps of large-scale data sets to, to clients for consumption um, in ways that had never been done before. Um, and so, um, you know, the, we're, the data delivery mechanisms are changing um, to support this new way of, of consuming the data for the data scientists. Yeah, yeah, no, that's an uh, excellent point. It, if we look at it again from the, the, the vendor perspective, uh, data vendor perspective, which Morningstar is a data aggregator and mm -hmm. provider, uh, how do you differentiate yourself from the competition? I mean, it, it seems like Previously, data was data, and you know it, it became almost a commoditized uh, technology, if you want to put it that way. So these days, how how do you, how does Morningstar differentiate itself from the competition? So yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. There's there's a number of ways that we differentiate ourselves. Now, one is you know it always comes down to the coverage, and that'll be the you know the depth and breadth of, of data you have. 
as we've been in the industry for so long, there's certain data sets that you know you just can't get anymore if you want to go into deep history. Um, and they're uh, you know, the vendors aren't even carrying the data. So you know we've been storing it so we have that stuff available available. So there's the coverage side, there's the accessibility. As I mentioned before, there's just new ways of getting at the data and Morningstar is constantly evolving, you know, from our on-site servers years ago to the cloud servers we have today. We're even involving, evolving into newer technologies so we can stream data out to, to parquet fo uh, file formats for the, the clients. So there's the there's new accessibility techniques, you know, keep us uh, at the forefront. But the really, the, I guess the, the two areas that we feel really set us apart is the the reliability side and the compliance side. Um, you know, how quick can you respond to the the issues that the the data coming in late, um, getting back to the data vendors? Uh, how quickly can your system produce the uh, the, the derivations and make it uh, you know down to the client's uh, systems and to the end users? And then on the the compliance side, it's really making sure that the client is um, following all the the letters of the law with the data vendors. You know, the last thing our clients want is we're dealing with large banks and you know, trading operations. They don't want to be have some exposure for misuse of data. Um, and so right. we're able to walk them through the process of of staying compliant with the the large data vendors to avoid um, you know, problems down the road. In terms of technology, we, we're continuing to see increasing investments in areas like machine learning and artificial intelligence capabilities that are, are clearly dependent upon both historical data and then also derived data sets going forward. Are, are you seeing increased interest in the market for these types of capabilities being provided by the vendors, uh, data vendors themselves uh, in terms of AI and ML? Well, obviously the market has exploded with um... AI and machine learning vendors, um, and you know some of that has come to the you know the aggregation space ourselves. Um, but you're seeing a lot of uh, you know startups that have come up with some type of you know algorithm that they're they're looking to apply onto data, and so there's these you know a lot of small third-party companies who are just doing the um, AI and machine learning pieces. A lot of them don't have data vendor uh, data to go into the system, and so they'll they'll partner with um, someone like us to to get the data. Um, and then other ones will work directly with the customers. Um, so I think those groups are on a little bit more of the, the leading edge. Um, but while that's going on, the, the data vendor aggregation space that, that we're in is starting to take a more uh, tempered approach. So we're starting to incorporate some of those um, features as well. So, you know, Morningstar, we built out a uh, load forecast engine. But one thing we realize as we're bringing these things out to the market, um, we're seeing a even simpler, uh, a smaller gap in the systems that the clients don't fully understand the, the basic technologies um, that the AI, the, the machine learning environments are using. An example, a lot of our clients are transitioning from a, an Excel analysis to over to Python. Um, and sometimes they're bringing in, you know, data scientists, maybe right out of college who don't know the market. Um, sometimes they have experienced people who are trying to make the transition into Python to, to do the analysis. And they don't have the, the tools or background to, to really get started. And so what we've started to do is, in addition to offering the, um, some of the AI and machine learning components, is to include basic training on say the Python side, building up Jupyter Notebooks so you can go ahead and pull the data and start to do analysis. 
So put together pre-canned analysis for our clients so that they can get started faster. Because the big challenge is how can we get our clients you know, quickly to the market to do what they're trying to do? And it's, if it's providing analytics, then it's building those toolkits for them. So just like we used to do building Excel spreadsheets for clients years ago, now we're building um, models that clients can, can pick up and start to use right away out of the box. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does feel like there is a, a bit of a maturation process that still needs to occur in these markets. But like you pointed out, as, as Excel came into the marketplace and people started trying to figure out how to best leverage that, I, I, I do see your point there definitely that uh, AI and ML are, are certainly at that, that similar point. So that, that kind of brings me to my next my next question is if we look over the next five years or or even possibly a little farther out, uh, what do you see as as the major trends in in data data analytics data management going forward? Is uh, you know is the market substantially different? Is the use of data substantially different? And just how does it shake out? Yeah, uh, I I do see the the technology trend continuing, and for the next few years, it's going to be again a a much bigger technology push. We're seeing more and more of uh, distributed computing. You know, if you look at um, as as clients are are the vendors are moving data into the cloud, you're seeing solutions out there like Snowflake, where you know clients can access different data sets within different vendors' um, environments and consume that uh, directly with paying subscriptions. And mm-hmm. so we're going to see you know more changes in the way that the clients are going to consume. It's going to be some one-time um, access for some deep analytics, and they will consume that data and use it for a short period of time, and then um, then not need it anymore. And so with that, it's going to bring some some new new challenges. Um, it's going to bring in some new pricing models and how you consume the data, um, but also there is the need to connect all the data sets up. So if you if you look at when you're adding more and more data to your system, you know usually you have that um, the data engineer who is making the connections and helping to link the data together. Then you have the data analyst who is going to you know start to um, you know uh, make some organization of the data to present it better. And then you have the data scientist who's going to start to make those predictions. But that first level, that data engineering connecting it all together, clients are starting to expect that to be done before they consume the data. So mm-hmm. It means grabbing metadata beforehand. It means prepping the data, making sure that if you're going to go from exchange to ISO to weather to pipeline, you're going to be able to connect those up pretty easily. And you're not going to have to say, well, this exchange quote is matching to this ISO node. No, they're expecting, clients are expecting that to already exist. And so it requires a kind of complex infrastructure for the, for the data aggregator or data vendors to have available so that clients will be able to come in and consume it quickly. Well, that's great. No, it's an interesting observation, and uh, I think you're probably uh, spot on there. It seems that clients are looking more and more for technology to facilitate some of the stuff that has been done manually in the past, and, and I think that uh, uh, companies like Morningstar are well-positioned to help them provide that, that capability to, to both expedite the analysis, but then uh, also move it closer to real time. So. Thanks to Patrick and Chris. And finally, to wrap up the external part of this podcast, I spoke with Mark Earthy, who is with Matrica. How is data management benefiting from from new technologies like artificial intelligence? 
Uh, it's benefiting in the sense that the artificial intelligences can be used to spot patterns in data that human beings can't easily see or not see at all. Uh, also, uh, AI can link various types of data together, like what we call soft data and hard data. So, for example, hard data would be something like you know, meter data, price data, volume data. Soft data may be uh, uh, sort of phone calls or you know, market surveillance data, videos of anything, you know, uh, that, that ability to link all types of data together. How is artificial intelligence being deployed right now in, in terms of data management? And where do you think it goes from here? Being used, I think, uh, a lot more now in forecasting, especially around load and renewable generation. A, a lot of uh, issues in energy forecasting aren't easily forecastable by classical statistical techniques, you know, such as you know, linear regression. So, so there are various factors uh, in the data uh, that uh, linear regression can't kind of uh, easily stay, uh, see. So that's sort of one area. Another area where AI is uh, getting increasingly used is in uh, trading. Again, using uh, machine learning to look for patterns in uh, trade data, you know, prices, volumes, fundamentals, charts, whatever, and uh, make trading decisions on that. And the kind of initial uh, results from having, well, I call it robo trading, are actually looking quite promising uh, compared to what uh, humans can actually do. So it's a very, very important area. Going on further into the future, we can actually see that in the areas of uh, monitoring energy data, we're going increasingly down the line of smart meters, which means that uh, there's more sampling. So in other words, there's more data points to look at mm -hmm. in price histories. So, uh, and also seeing what we call multi-channel smart meters. So in other words, you can split a household or a business into lighting, heating, storage, own generation, electric vehicles, so on and so on. And each one of those channels could theoretically have a different supplier. So you can imagine the amount of forecasting and the amount of data you have to have a reasonable description of an entity, the amount of data is just going to skyrocket as we go into the future. Right. As where, say, your you know your office, your domestic household may have just the one channel to forecast you know, with one supplier. In the future, you may have any up to five, 10, 20. So it's a, a big area. Indeed, a lot of data. Um, is it also potentially of use in in areas like um, data quality because I, I think that if you look at the broader risk management data quality and validity is certainly a, a risk to which many people in the industry ex are exposed and I know that many data management platforms include certain types of checks validity checks range checks that kind of thing to try to ensure clean data but has anybody applied artificial intelligence to that sort of activity uh, only in a limited way, because our, our platform also does a lot of uh, data validation. In fact, a lot of the processing is actually tied up with uh, validating the data, but we can do anything with it. And that does, it can introduce delays. So you can imagine in a trading context, if you've got an AI engine that looks to make a trading decision and you feed it a load of rubbish, well, not the first thing you're going to get rubbish out the other end. But yeah. even so, just to make sure you get valid data going in, you're going to introduce a slight delay. So what do you want to do? Take a chance or do you want to uh, uh, slow down a bit and do it uh, properly? So that's sort of one area. But certainly AI itself will be looking for patterns in the data. So you can actually train it that the data is rubbish. So, for example, you can easily spot uh, gaps in the data or more subtly points in the data which don't quite match what you're expecting. So, for example, your, your lighting consumption in your household is not going to go up by a factor of 10 in over a few seconds and then drop back down again. I mean, that's an extreme example. 
but we may look at things like, uh, you know, for example, patterns of consumption, are they, are they out of the ordinary? Is it real or is it a data quality issue? Another, another thought is on, in terms of um, data management and where it's going, what do you expect to see in terms of utilizing non-standard data? You've mentioned it, photographs, satellite images, um, recordings, all of that kind of stuff. And, and how will that be achieved with the technology? Yeah, we think it is a, a major growth area. So, for example, some work that we're doing on uh, vulnerability of assets to you know, climate change and environmental factors also include yeah, vegetation encroachment. Yes. So, for example, you can have a huge, great interconnector, which is in the middle of a forest or a big wood. So not only does the vegetation kind of encroach towards it, that also increases the risk. This is a big storm. A tree will blow over the fence and crash into all your uh, switch gear. Right. So that's quite an uh, important area. So the technology is, I mean, obviously a human being can look at a photograph and see there's a, you know, a great big tree near the fence, which is dangerous. For machines, it's a lot more difficult. So there's a lot of work being done on allowing machines to understand photographs and to actually interpret them. So you can show a digital uh, photograph of an uh, interconnector. So you can actually see there are trees there. The trees are above a certain size because you can tell by the shadows that they cast because you know where it is and what the angle of the sun is. And uh, they can make you know, predictions and awareness and things on that. So that's one very important area. Please. I mean, there are other examples. So there are other examples of soft data as well. I mean, for example, in market surveillance with trading, yeah. Uh, another thing we're looking at, you're looking for the evidence of insider dealing or what they call concert parties, where you have gangs of traders spread across companies all kind of you know, working together. You know, things like, you know, if, if a, a trader goes on a telephone call and mentions the word elephant or some kind of other word, and then half an hour later, a company gets taken over and he's a beneficiary or somebody else is the beneficiary. Yeah. That's kind of soft data that you can look at. I know it sounds like science fiction, but that's, you know, that's an example of soft data. Anyway, um, I just wanted to ask one last question, which is in terms of digital, the sort of digitalization and what we tend to be seeing, I think, is a migration to a sort of data centric ecosystem of apps and apps and APIs. What role do you think that technologies like your own can play in that sort of an environment? Yeah, a great deal, because certainly the trading process is being massively digitized. I think uh, I'll be go as far as to say the kind of human trader is slowly being kind of squeezed out. So that's a kind of major area. In, in fact, with our uh, uh, the kind of software that we write, there's now a, a lesser emphasis on how pretty it is you know, with graphical presentation and reporting. And people just simply want the digital output going straight into another process. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we forecast and our digital output is the digital input into an algorithm or a, a trading program or whatever. So that's certainly a, you know, a you know, very important area. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, another thing that uh, yeah, we're aware of is that the, the relational database is rapidly dying yeah. because with the amount of the data that's around, we understand that a, a, linear, a relational database tends to get very unhappy if there's more than about 500 million rows in it you're running queries against. Yeah. Uh, we have a number of customers who can quite easily add 10 million rows a day to their database through, uh, you know, through forecasting. And this is before smart meters and you know, uh, even more digitization you know, with uh, you know, multi-channels and whatever. So I know it's a cliche, but the, the amount of data is growing exponentially and you know, relational databases we think are dead. Yeah. So, so an additional question then, what kind of database technology 
do you expect to see utilized in the future? Are the kind of uh, you know, big data with you know uh, distributed servers, distributed load, you know, multi-threading, you know, kind of huge server farms, which probably consume a lot of energy in their own right, uh, has to be scalable, has to be future-proof. Because say when we we've been looking at the trends in data quantities over the last you know thirty years, so when I uh, you know joined the industry as a wee lad back in uh, 1990. You imagine that domestic households, their meters are being read once every six months and probably they would use estimated data as well. Right now we're going out to multi-channel smart meters. So, you know, we're up or, you know, with markets going down to five minute granularity or even real time. We worked out that that's a four orders of magnitude increasing data. And this is before we go down, you know, the route to, you know, multiple channels. And things. Yeah, that's where we're going. So Patrick and I then had a quick conversation about what we'd learned from these three experts on the topic of data management. In some ways, it, it's still a bit of a hammer looking for a nail. And, and I know that that sounds you know, kind, kind of tough, but I, I think there are very specific use cases for uh, a lot of the data management, uh, data aggregation, data driving ML, AI, uh, those types of things, but I, I still think we're as a as a marketplace still searching for the the best and highest uses of data, and and, and clearly there's going to be some some very interesting things come out of it. But I think right now, if you look at say the the best use cases are things like algorithmic trading in the European markets. There's very specific data that needs to come to that. Uh, you know, in any number of potential use cases at a for a very specific capability that that the large the mid-sized companies are looking for, I think the largest companies clearly can can invest in, in investigative aspects of large-scale data aggregation, data mining, uh, trying to find advantage in the market there. And I, and I think hedge funds too have, have already adopted a lot of that. But I think as an industry, we're still kind of at that point where. It's it's very interesting, but they can't necessarily justify spending money on anything rather than they'd rather spend money on on data integration and uh, improving data flow throughout the, the organization rather than trying to create these these holistic data lakes that, that uh, you know, their their traders can dip into. I think they've got more fundamental issues they're still trying to solve. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that. Um the idea of data centric ecosystems of apps is where the rubber hits the road because then you're you're trying to organize and identify the data that is required to drive a particular application and a particular business process but when you get beyond that into just trying to look at data as a resource to give you information about how to create value in the business that's a completely different proposition and you can't get there overnight i think you have to go through the the process of sorting through the data that's required by the specific apps and trying to understand it at that level before you get to that sort of here we have all of the data in the universe that we've ever collected now we can slice and dice it and look for value can you <laughs> how do you do yeah, that I, 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 I think in a, in a way it's it's similar to the whole concept of digitalization, and, and I think clearly every company says, "Hey, digitalization is a great thing." You know, if we could, if everything were passed uh, digitally from from one to the other internally and externally, there's huge efficiencies to be gained there. But I think the reality of it is, 
you start to look at the cost of doing that versus the cost of, of investing elsewhere in your business, does it necessarily make sense? Do the gains of, of spending a considerable amount of time and, and wealth on, on creating these huge digital infrastructures to, to digitize your business, is that justifiable or is that money better deployed elsewhere, such as, you know, improved data integration, uh, for instance, and, and data integration really is the first step in, in digitalization. It's just yeah. that next step above that, that that starts to become more difficult. Thank you for listening to another edition of CTRM Radio. If you enjoyed the show, please do like, share and look for additional episodes as they come at outlets like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and so on. Once again, this is Gary Vasey with Comtech Advisory, thanking you and our guests for this particular episode. Meanwhile, goodbye and happy holidays. to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Vasey and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.